There's some ambiance noise for you. <laughs> that wasn't us. Uh, Not like the heavy breathing. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another uh, podcast with The Knockdown. It is Sunday night in Scotland. I am here with my wingman, Michael Bamberger. We are buzzing from a great open and some thistly cross cider. Um, <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> Mike said half a cider. He's, he's in the bag. Um, we, were, we knew we had to do this at a pub. We considered the Dunvegan. We considered the Jigger. But we, instead, we've, we've wound up at the... Rufflet's Country House. Rufflet, very charming place, which has some prominence. There's a photo. There's photos of all the golfers who have stayed here. Tell me, tell me about. Well, we should place. probably tell the uh, listenership that we're that we're not in Carnoustie, that we're in uh, the outskirts of uh, St Andrews, and this is uh, an old timey hotel uh, favorite. And my path to this spot was uh, my friend Neil Oxman, who caddies for Tom Watson, uh, has stayed here. Neil has stayed here. Watson has stayed here, and the Nicholases have stayed here uh, for years. And that's how I do about it. And that's why we're here. At the bar. Neil stays where, where Watson stays, and Watson stays where Jack stays, and right. that's just how it and goes. Jack, and Jack goes where Barbara says he should go. And Barbara has good taste. So. And, and Barbara has good taste. <laughs> exactly. We, we chose St. Andrews as our home base because it's wonderful and it's charming. And um, it was a Cardi good move. Is, is neither of those things, but um, it was, I think it was a good call. It was a good call. It was a lot of driving. A quick uh, barber story in hotels. I've probably told this too before, uh, but I do. So the, Many, some of the listeners maybe will not know the story. Um, Barbara and Jack were super loyal to hotels. And, uh, and their hotel, uh, when the open was at Burkdale, was a place called, um, oh dear, the Prince George. Okay. And uh, one year during a heat wave, they were saying at the Prince George, Prince George would go up, Prince George would go down, didn't matter. They were loyal to the, uh, the Prince George Hotel. Um, and uh, one year during a heat wave, um, Jack was unbearably hot, so he opened up all the windows as you would do, but he needed a cross breeze, so he opened up the hotel door, or the door, you know, the hotel yeah. door, and it's Jack, and it's and it's Barbara, uh, and their uh, and their daughter as well, um, and uh, but because he was afraid that his golf clubs uh, might be stolen, he set up an alarm system. But the alarm system was such that he just uh, stacked empty suitcases on top of each other in front of the door, thinking that if someone tried to come in, he would hear the suitcases collapse. Anyway, I don't know if he won the, uh, I don't know if he won that open, but you and I both have the same thing where, um, I'm doing a lot of talking here. Could be because I'm drunk. Um, No, but but we both uh, have an affinity for uh, the hotels where the players stay, and I'm sure, what, what are some of the things you've picked up on over the years staying in player hotels? Well, it's interesting. Um, I think that it peaked, and maybe it's because of Airbnb. It seems like a lot more people are staying in private housing than they used to. And we, that was certainly a subplot to um, to this week, where all the frat house where Johnson and Spieth and Kisner and all those guys were staying. By the way, I'm very proud of myself. I never typed the word haircut once this entire week. Uh-huh. I think I think that's not the case with you. Tell tell the listeners your haircut story, Michael. Well, uh, so are you saying that? But what, what, do you have a? You, do you not want to cite a favorite hotel, uh, player spotting hotel? Oh, I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, Doral's great in the old days. It was Doral fantastic. Was great. Everyone was there, and there's some ambiance noise for you. <laughs> that wasn't us. Not um, like the heavy breather we had. 
at the, uh, the Waffle House in Augusta. Yeah, that was a Washington Road Waffle House. The um, the Four Seasons in Dallas was fantastic. Yeah. It still is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, now not anymore. They went to Trinity, but for a long time, that was a great one. Um, yeah. The I'm Honda Hotel, you, a lot of the players still stay there. Spanish Bay or the Lodge, the Week of Pebble, mm-hmm. you know, that's crawling the players. You can go on down the list. I mean, there's still certain spots where it's it's advantageous, but I just I feel like you don't see as many players at these. And maybe they become more private in the age of social media, and they're afraid of getting, you know, hit with photos and videos and selfies and um, yeah, you know that 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 sense of privacy has been lost. I'm like, we used to cover the Open in the '90s and. You would still see Jack in town. Yep. You would see Watson. I mean, these guys, that was part of the uh, the experience for them. They liked to immerse themselves in the culture. Even um, Joe Ogilvie, I went to a pub with him on the night before the final round. This was um, the Ian Woosnam 15th Club, uh-huh. 2001, uh-huh. When, when Duval won. Uh-huh. And, and Ogilvie had a chance... He, would, he was going to the same pub every night. He was this unknown young player. But he was playing so well, he didn't want to break the, the pattern. So the guy, he was like one shot off the lead. We went to this pub together. It was, it was for my, it was, I was That's doing a It was really charming. And everyone knew him, and they wanted to talk about the golf. And I, mean, I can think of other opens where you're, at, you're, in, you're in these little towns, you're at a restaurant, and you're waiting to get in, and then Ernie Els would breeze in or whomever, and they'd be seated right away because it was kind of this tacit agreement amongst the fans. And the restaurant tours that the players had to eat. Right. Their time was valuable. And it was kind of a charming part of the week. But for whatever reason, I haven't had that experience as much lately. But it's funny. Some of the players, Ernie being one of them, you do see out and about a lot. Tom Lehman used to see out and about a lot. Mark Alcovecchi used to see out and about. And some, I can never remember seeing Tiger Woods uh, ever anywhere. But tell, tell the listenership, as, as you quickly pointed out, Barbara Nicholas got us here, and you can't go wrong. Tell the listenership about the role that Jose Maria Lothaball used to play in our <laughs> right. in our lives. We had this thing going where we kept bumping into him the week of majors at, at fine dining establishments, and if you go and, so Lothaball is a very sophisticated guy, which people might have picked up on, but we know to be true, and if you walk into a restaurant and you saw Jose Maria, you knew you were going to get a good meal because exactly. he, this is pre-Yelp. This is like the 90s, right? Exactly. And he, whatever, he knew the best places to eat always. Exactly. And the corollary is I like Thai food and I, you know, I'll often hit it when I'm traveling. And I, I had a run. It was around the Players' Championship and a couple other events. I kept bumping into Tonghai JD. Oh, interesting. I didn't know how that came about that way. So, therefore, I knew I was at a good Thai restaurant. Oh, I see. Is that how you developed an interest and a relationship and an interest in writing about him? Oh, well, Kiradesh, yeah, he was was the Barn Rats mentor, and he sort of helped lead me down that road. Sorry, yes. But the whole reason I wanted to do the Barn Rat story was so I could go to Bangkok and eat Thai food. Yeah. And the story turned out okay, but the food was spectacular. Well played. But we were like three diversions ago. We were talking about your haircut. Let's just bring the let's let the readers in here. The uh, on Monday night, I was in the uh, gents in the press tent, and I just and I was jet lagged. I had flown uh, Sunday to Monday, and then I drove from Glasgow uh, to the golf course, and then I was on the golf course uh, and in the press tent. And writing, and then I looked at myself, and it was I was truly unkempt. I mean, I I was not representing Golf Magazine and its related properties well at all. So I decided I really needed a haircut. Uh, I think Christine, my wife, had said about three weeks earlier that I needed a haircut, so I was way overdue. So I went to a uh, a barber on the high street in uh, Carnoustie, and uh, nice gent. 
uh, I can't say he spoke a lot of English because he did not know the word trim. Uh, he, Which, he, that, that's an important word if you're in that profession. You, 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 you would think, uh, I did not know his nationality, but I knew him not to be, he was Middle Eastern, that, that I could say with some assurity, but uh, beyond that, he really spoke very little English. But anyway, he, uh, the haircut was nine pounds. I gave him 15. He was, you know, surprised because I don't think it's as much of a tipping culture here as, no, as it not. is at home. Uh, but anyway, it was a nice haircut. It was a nice guy. It was an interesting, you know, it was an interesting experience, actually. Um, and, but I didn't really think much of it again until Saturday night in his press conference, Spieth talked about his own nine-pound haircut. <laughs> and then it occurred to me that maybe we had had the same barber. So I went back to the barber uh, today, Sunday uh, afternoon, and... Uh, and they had the newspaper right there with Speed's picture on it. I said, did you cut this guy's hair? And he said that he had. So, yes, we had the same uh, barber, and uh, it was an interesting experience. And it turns out uh, the barbershop is owned by uh, Kurds from uh, Iran, and uh, they've had an extremely interesting life story just to get to where they are. And uh, uh, so the man who owns it has had the shop for uh, 10 years, and the man who cut uh, Jordan Speed's hair has been in this country for, for three years. And it actually, it's kind of a wake-up call to you know the world as it really is beyond this world that we uh, cover. Um, yeah, there's actually you know, real life outside the bubble yeah, that we yeah. inhabit. And I think it's neat, really a neat statement about Jordan Spieth that he just strolled into that barbershop on the high street with his uh, fiance Annie and got a nine-quid haircut. Uh, Ernie was like that, you know, but Tiger was not like that. I wonder if your barber would have would have recognized Tiger Woods. I, I bet he would not have. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't think he was really not connected to uh, Western culture, really. You know, interesting. And I, we should we should tell the readers that you've written up this very charming story for Golf.com, so you can go there for the full experience. There's a subtext to this, as there always is, where I think Alan's hair has been discussed often, for early and often in 2018. But he does have a great head of hair. Um, and probably one of the great heads of hair in, uh, in golf journalism today. But, of course, when you're competing against the likes of Brandel Chambly and Nick Faldo, it's tough. As well, on the other hand, across the, the spectrum of golf journalists, there's not much hair in general. I mean, no. if you have any hair at all, you're probably top ten, yeah. possibly top five. Yeah. It's pretty grim. I mean, even here now in your mid-40s, you're still one of the younger guys out here. That's, I know. That's, that's but, amazing. Uh, were, were people talking about... Uh, I, I mentioned it, but I, I didn't hear a lot of people talking about comparing uh, Frankie Molinari's uh, round today to what Faldo did in 87, I believe. The old course? At, yeah. at, no, Muirfield. Muirfield, uh, right. Where he made 18 straight pars on Sunday to win. It came up. I saw a graphic on the TV, and when, when, when Frankie was stacking up all those, all those pars, it, it occurred to me even before that graphic. So I think that it was, it was touched upon, but yeah, I guess we, there was a, there was an 13 straight pars before the birdie, right? Yeah, no, it was tremendous. That's right. We should probably, we'll segue into the actual golf tournament here. Um, yes. Francesco Molinari. That was one of the all time final rounds. It, it was airtight. I mean, it really was. And Ty, you know, it was interesting because afterwards Tiger didn't talk about the ball striking. Did you pick up on this? He was, he was, of course, he had to poo-poo the ball striking, right? Because but this is so perfect. <laughs> but he was—it was close to perfect. But he launched. He said, "Well, it wasn't perfect. There were two mishits." Yeah. <laughs> but, but he went into this whole thing about how Frankie was playing different shots around the greens. Well, that was cool. Some, some cuts, the cuts and some, and the draws, some draws, yeah. you know, on the pitches. I mean, that—that's golf nerd stuff that I really appreciated. Yeah. Well, that was cool that he picked up on that. Yeah. Um, uh, but I guess the thing I'm trying to say was that 
and this is a credit to Tiger, because, I mean, he was pissed off, I'm sure. He couldn't put his full stamp of approval on the round of golf. No. He just couldn't do it, no. even though, as you know, he did compliment the cuts and the draws and the different shots right. he played. And, and Tiger was the exact same way, and more so, when Phil won in 2013. Oh, yeah. He couldn't really say, good, well played. It was like... The course was gettable. <laughs> That's right. Wasn't that his comment? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, how come you didn't get it then? Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go. We got to talk Tiger. I mean, all credit to Molinari. He's a fantastic champion. He's been playing tremendous golf. He has a very nice resume on the European Tour and in the Ryder Cup. And obviously, he won on the PGA Tour earlier this year. So, I wish very I knew worthy Italian champion. movies better to be able to identify what Italian movie detective he most looks like. Oh, I don't know the detective. What is the. Um, Breathless. Do you remember the, um, the the screenwriter? It's one of the all-time great ones of Italian cinema. Something about the, the, you know he's he's mixed up in this plot. He kind of reminds me of there's a, the the screenwriter, but uh, uh, that's he's a, an interesting guy. He's highly intelligent. His brother's highly intelligent. His wife's highly intelligent. I think the kids will probably be highly intelligent. Um, I just love the way he goes about his business. He's very old school. It, he, there's no yeah, flash. There's, yeah. He actually reminds me of Olaf Thobble. It's It's yeah. not about the endorsements in the media. It's about the act of hitting a golf shot and, yeah. and crafting a score. I mean, there's a purity. He's kind of like a soul surfer in some way. And yeah, he plays with a lot of, of course, precision. We saw that today. But uh, there's a grace about him uh, that I admire. Very different than his uh, countryman, Constantino Roca, from uh, years back, who had a chance to win uh, the old course, which would have been great. But I think he's a very, very fitting champion. Absolutely. Will he move the needle? Maybe not. But I no. think those of us who love golf appreciate what he did. And, yeah. You know, it, the golf course was very challenging today. Flags were in tough spots. The wind was obviously up. So it's one of the better 69s you're ever going to see. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Tiger because, as always, there, it's, it's, the, it's a good news, bad news kind of analysis. Where do you fall on, uh, on what we saw? I don't know that he's going to have that many more great chances. He's 42. He's working really hard. It was really exciting to see him play so well. Uh, but that tournament was there for him to win. He had the lead with eight holes left. He's Tiger Woods. He didn't close. Tiger's a, the greatest closer the game's ever ever known. Well, and not only did he not close, I mean, the way he, the way he lost the plot was, was kind of stunning. Iron off the tee into the rough, then miss on the short side, now he he has he has a tough little shot out of the rough, pins right behind a bunker, but he has acres of green behind that. Everyone knows you just hit it past the flag to 15 or 20 feet. You try and make the putt. Worst case, you get out of there with a five. But he played. He tried to play this cute little shot to the, the this tucked flag. It didn't come off. Now he, he brought double bogey into play when he had the lead. It's one thing if he was chasing, if he was three or four back. Okay, you got to stuff it next to the flag and give yourself the best chance for par. But as a, we, we all know, Tiger is a, a preeminent tactician and a thinker. And to me, that's the kind of thing that I do on the golf course. It was just, it was, I, hitting a bad shot out of the rough happens, but um, you can't miss short. You just can't do it. You just give it a little extra horsepower. And if it goes 30 feet long instead of 15, so what? You're still going to two putt on those flat greens. Right. But that was really stunning. Yeah. And, uh, and then he goes to the next tee with an iron in his hand and blows that one into the rough. It was just, 
What, what did you think in general of his conservative approach to playing this golf course? You know, I thought that he gave up some some shots on Thursday, especially when the course was very vulnerable, and guys like Rom and McIlroy were hitting eleven or twelve drivers and reduced the course basically to nothing because the rough was so playable. And I, I, Tiger, the way he takes apart a golf course is fun to watch, but sometimes I think his thinking is a little too rigid, and he he came into Carnoustie with a plan and. The conditions changed because they watered the greens and because the rough was was totally benign and, and dry and because it was some some rainfall that soft that softened things up a little bit and so he just um he was wedded to that plan and he played really well and only shot even par on a day when you you know you could, a lot of guys were shooting two three four under and so you know friday um in those conditions i maybe a little being a little more conservative was okay but it just seemed like he, he could have he could have stepped on the gas a bit more, and then he did play more aggressively on Saturday, and that got him into the tournament. But it's tough to spot you know these guys three and four strokes going into the final round, it, particularly when his method of winning major championships is to have the fifty-four lead, fifty-four right. hole lead. Now you can say it all worked out because he had the lead making the turn, and right. he was right there. But um, and even just that that last putt on eighteen was was a little disquieting it, it didn't mean anything he wasn't going to win at that point but it's such a grand theater and he'd got this such this lovely ovation and just to not even scare the hole is just like you know tiger woods never missed putts that yeah. that mattered to him and except that one in liberty national and yes. uh i mean a lot goes back to that you know he has not been the same remind the, li- the listeners what we're right referring to. so so in the uh, in August of two of two thousand and nine, Tiger gets Y E Yanged to the PGA Championship, all time stunner. He got yanked. He got yanked, and then he goes to the FedEx Cup event at Liberty National, and has a do or die putt on the seventy second hole. She's trying to fend off Heath Slocum of all people. I can't even remember that. Zach Johnson was sitting on his golf bag. You never see guys sitting on their golf bag anymore. But he was on the side of the green, sitting on his golf bag. Happened to be standing right there, and then and tell the listeners what happened. The tiger missed the putt, and it was you know six, seven feet. Zach Johnson's jaw dropped. It was a shocker. I mean, no one could believe it. And and so there's sort of this one-two punch with Yang, then that putt, and then you roll right into Thanksgiving night with the scandal. And um, I mean, that was you know I wrote. I think 1,700 words on Tiger for golf.com. And it, that's one thing that I took away from this is you want to be optimistic. If you have, if you have the, the broader perspective, he's only X number of months from back surgery. We don't know if he was, ever going to play, if he was never going to play golf again. I mean, if you have any kind of long, long-term perspective, you have to say this was a, a triumph. He got himself in the mix. He had the lead. But Tiger has had so much scar tissue in the last decade, you know, literal and and you know, emotional and metaphorical. And this was, this was a big moment for him and he just didn't get it done. And that, that's honestly what I take away from it. I hate to, I hate to be a, a hater to reference um, Charlie Woods's t-shirt, but um, th- it was, it was there for him. And he, he just, he kind of shrunk from the moment. What, what did it say on Charlie's t-shirt? Love the haters. Wow. That's pretty wild for me. Young man. Young boy, really. I know. Of course, it's Nike. You know, it was a beswished. Is Charlie's wardrobe scripted? I mean, that's an interesting uh, question. Uh, let me ask you this question. The let's speak of Tiger's professional career, and we've covered the entirety of it uh, in terms of uh, decades. Let's go twenty-one to thirty-one. Thirty-one to forty-one. He's forty-two now. 
and then 41 to 51. If you consider those as three acts in a man's life when he's in full, um, where do you think this third act can rank in terms of the man and our interest in him and what he's going to do? It was interesting following him out there on, on the golf course today because Tiger at his peak was revered and he he inspired awe, but he was never beloved. You know, it just, it wasn't, people appreciate they got to see the artistry, but I never felt like the crowd was necessarily entranced by him as a person, as a competitor without a doubt. But it was hard to root for him because you didn't know who he was, and it was all these walls, you know, his, his inner self was his fortress you couldn't penetrate. And as all that's been stripped away, he's become this sympathetic figure. And so you could feel the love out there. You could feel the giddiness and, like, the gratitude that we're, we're having this opportunity to, to watch him because everyone's been wanting, you know, craving this opportunity to see Tiger have one more kind of moment in the sun. And so clearly he's not going to accomplish anything like he did in the in the, the first, you know, his first two acts of his career, but he's kind of trying to reinvent himself as this elder statesman and 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 you know, he always revered Arnie and Jack and I think he realized at some point he has a lot of work to do if he's going to be held in, in that kind of respect and that kind of affection. And so um you know, you can he gives more of himself and I, the people respond to that, but um, as a golfer, you know, there, he has so many deficits when before he had no weaknesses. So it's you can't even compare the players, but he's obviously more compelling. He's more complicated and he's easier to root for now. And um, so I think I think that's interesting. I, I could really feel it out there today, just the um, the crowd willing him on. And, you know, Spieth's defending champ and he, he's he's done a lot to charm the the galleries over here and you had Molinari you know I haven't had a Italian winner ever of this tournament and um, but it was it was all Tiger all the time and it was fun to feel that and it's hard not to get swept up in it and it sort of colors your analysis but ultimately you know the way he performed on the back nine was just to me it, would, it took all the air out of the out of the balloon I mean it makes what we do and what you know our, the listeners do as well all the more interesting i mean just to look at tiger woods we 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 know the broad strokes of what has happened in his life and to see how they show up in how one plays one's golf is extraordinary i mean that is one of the things that makes golf extraordinary i mean you know you know uh, the nfl is the national pastime but uh those players are so hidden behind those helmets, we really have no idea what's going You know, you might get to know a Tom Brady a little bit because he's been on the national stage for so often over the years and his helmet's so off and off. But it's just an extraordinary opportunity to see, you know, to use your phrase, uh, scar tissue and, uh, and its costs because uh, without the scar tissue, Tiger Woods' 700 is going to 900 and winning by three, and everyone's backing up. Uh, but life... Uh, did intervene and we all saw it today and it's extremely interesting and it, it should be noted that he didn't miss a shot on the first seven holes I mean he was striping it it was it was it was awesome to see and so and then as soon as as soon as he summited the leaderboard and the whole tournament got thrown into chaos and it was like wow I could win this he started hitting in bunkers that was even before he you know he Eight, nine, and ten. He was saved, he saved par, but it was like it was immediate. As soon as he had a chance to win, like, and he was almost in control of the tournament, everything flipped. 
And then on Saturday, it was the same thing. I mean, he was cruising along, and then he made a bogey on 16 and was very lucky not to make a bogey on – I shouldn't say very lucky, but – well, he was very lucky not to make a bogey on 18. That ball could have gone in the hazard. Oh, I mean, it was a couple um, inches from making a double bogey. It, yeah, it was an exactly. unbelievable par. He took yeah. advantage of the break, but it was a horrible swing. And yeah. So uh, Golf does – I mean, this is such a cliche, but it is absolutely true. It does reveal – it reveals all your character and life experience in just weird, interesting, uh, interesting ways. And uh, I mean, he works. We know he's a very. There's so much to admire about Tiger. He's such a hard worker. He's really uh, the starting point to it. But what ails him now, he can't work on. It's would true. You, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's so internal, and it's like Spieth. I mean. It, what we saw today on speed, like the guy didn't make, didn't make a birdie. He he just completely fell apart. And as great a champion as he is, he has that vulnerability too. He's kind of lucky though because he's short in the sense that he's not nearly as good at Tiger Woods at any aspect of the game. There's not one aspect that Jordan Smith – and he's still a tremendous, tremendous young peak player. Peak Tiger, yeah. Right, yeah. peak Tiger. Yeah. There's not one thing that this guy does that – is better than Tiger, or actually probably even close. And he still is going to be, you know, he could be at the Trevino level before it's over, and he could be north of Trevino. Uh, we don't know. But he's already established at 24 that he's kind of flaky, you know, not in personality yeah. but, or fluky, whatever word you want to use. You don't know what you're going to get on any given day. He's volatile. Him. He's yeah. so volatile. So, so he can sort of shrug off this loss as he seemed to have done in 15 minutes, whereas Tiger would have brewed about it for the rest of his life. Because, <laughs> well, it's become part of Spieth's brand is the unpre unpredictability, right? So, as you're saying. But to me, this ranks up there with, with what happened in the 2016 Masters. I mean, it was interesting because, you know, Spieth said last year's Open kind of redeemed that collapse. And he said, I have nothing to prove to anyone anymore. It's like, really? After today, you, you might. Oh. <laughs> That's folly, anyhow. There's no redemption from these losses. Those losses are losses. They're there permanently. You can look them up on Wikipedia. It says T3 when instead of one. Uh, yeah. They're gone. You know, it's like when uh, when when uh, Bruce Edwards used to caddy for uh, Norman. Bruce was a great cheerleader type caddy. And, you know, Norman would make a bogey. And uh, and Bruce would say, come on, come on, Greg. We'll make it up. We'll make up for it with a birdie on the next hole. And Norman would say, there's no making up for it. That bogey's on my card. <laughs> you know, you can make a birdie, but it won't make up for it. It just help you a little bit more. I mean, when you think about Spieth, the first Masters he won was a dominating performance, no sweat. And then even even the, the two that he, he's picked off since then, I mean, Chambers Bay, remember that double bogey on the 71st hole? It could have been a disaster. That could have affected. That's a freak win with Dustin and then Johnson. Dustin three -putting. It's just incredible. And then obviously we know what happened last year at Burkdale with, um, you know, the, the crazy bogey off the driving range, which all credit to him, he, he, he came back from that. He just he couldn't find the magic today. And it was it was stunning to watch. I mean, he just completely got his lunch eaten and you know Xander Shoffley had kind of a similar nightmare in the middle of his round he fought back I mean he got right in the thick of it and he had a really chance did. that shocked me which was impressive yep. and he doesn't have anything like Spieth's pedigree so nope. it, the um, the mental side of golf is so endlessly fascinating it's so interesting watching both those uh, young guys today they have an uh, an edge I don't mean it in the uh, in the personality way they, they have too much energy 
for golf. Like if you look at Tiger stalking a golf course, there's, and Molinari for that matter, many, many players. Nicholas was like this. Palmer was like this. Uh, Watson was certainly like this. Uh, Hogan was the king of what I'm about to say. Extreme efficiency in all that they do. And that, that jumpy that jumpiness that you see in some of these young players, as good as they are, even Kevin Kissner's got some of it, although yeah, you know, for sure. not, like, not like Sander and, and not like Jordan Spieth. Um, I don't know that if it, it serves you that well down the, down the stretch. That's funny you say that because I, I, this is one of the themes of my story, which I know you haven't, re- you haven't even had a chance to read yet, so it's interesting you made that observation because I, I watched Tiger very carefully today, up close. Like I crowded every tee box. I, was, I followed him on every walkway. And the economy of motion, it was like he just disappeared into himself. He was so at peace, and his face was so tranquil, and it was stunning. Like, the energy he radiated was so serene in the first six or seven holes. And then then how did that change, if at all, when things went bad? It absolutely did. You know, he did or did not? Did. Uh This grimace took hold and muttering to himself and it was like that that peacefulness just drained out of him and that that's when the round really became a struggle and I was I was tuned into it because just watching him come down the first fairway it was like he was gliding it was just, I was just struck by you know, his presence can be so regal and, and, and it can overwhelm a golf tournament and this was a different feeling from him it was like He's like taking up as little space as possible, almost, and and I, I just I've you know I've been watching him play now for twenty years, and I really I got a different feeling from him, and I think that it worked. It's why he got off to that great start. It's why he took control of this tournament, and then it just got away from him. And um, so you know the question is, can he get back to that place, or was that just something that was fleeting? I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I really felt that out there today from Tiger. Um, let's, we, we've talked about this a little bit. I think the listeners might be interested to know. We talked about this year's tournament, this year's Open. Maybe this is only us talking, and maybe it's more than that. Could this be sort of a tipping point for the, the British Open, the Open Championship, um, as clearly, truly, not just in a romantic sense, but just truly, clearly and truly, the best of the four majors, the most important, the grandest, the best. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the um, the Masters is so glamorous, and because it's a spot on the schedule, and because of of it's the only one that goes back to the same spot. It, the Masters, the Masters, but not everyone loves the Masters. The, uh, even amongst the players, you know, the tell the listenership what Mark Kalk's old quote is about Augusta. Can't wait to get there and can't wait to leave. Is that exactly. it? Well, and you know, Lee Trevino would change his shoes in the parking lot. He didn't want to go in the clubhouse. I mean, a lot of the players. Now nobody goes in the clubhouse. Yeah, they just change in the caddy shack. I mean, a lot of the players are made to feel very much as interlopers. Like we'll let you boys play here for a week, but then get out. And so there's that element. And you know, Billy Payne was, was such a blowhard. I think he he rubbed a lot of the players the wrong way. People don't like the changes to the golf course. Um, it's be, it's kind of become like Disneyland as they've built up the grounds so much. It used to be this kind of quaint little invitational at this very cool club, and now it's it's like going to Epcot Center with a golf course in the middle of it. And so I think people are always going to love the Masters and revere the Masters, but there's 
Uh, and you know, we've you and I have talked about this as well. The, the cult of exclusivity that that follows Augusta National, it's baked into it. What it is, is off-putting to a lot of people. Not and not just fans, not just reporters, but some of the players feel that too. And so, it's a little it's a little out of step with modern times. We know that. As as every every course, you know, try embrace the brown. We're going to turn off the sprinklers. You know, there's this whole movement by the USGA. Um, their venues and you know Augusta is the opposite of that. It's like let's let's use a lot of water and a lot of fertilizer and a lot of fake flowers and so it's and a little buy more property. Yeah, we'll buy more property. We'll uh, I mean they're buying shopping centers now. They're tearing them down. They're they're rerouting the next the golf course next door. I mean it's just so much excess there and um, and we know the U.S. Open and all the problems the USJ's had with the setup and culturally. They're so out of step with the modern players, and they're kind of in this, this low-grade, you know, war with the, with the PJ Tour players, and they're losing. They're losing the battle in public relations and and the feeling of the players that they're hosting. And um, I I still love the U.S. Open, but I can recognize they they've screwed it up now a bunch of times in a row, and that's hurt the brand considerably. PGA is not even part of the discussion. So by default, what you're saying. The Open Championship it has been elevated in status because they get it right with the course. And Carnegie was fantastic. I mean, I was a little dispirited on Thursday how soft the greens were, and and then the rain came and they were soft on Friday. But ultimately, um, they they could have lost the course quite easily, especially as hot and, and windy as it was today. So they they erred on the side of caution, but it was the right call because they, they this course could have teetered into the unplayable very easily. And um, you know the RNA has. Is, is as stuffy and uptight as they are, the, the event they run is very freewheeling and fun. I right? I mean, it's just that the energy out there is different. They kind of let people run all over the place, and they set up these these big viewing areas where you can buy your fish and chips, and and the guys are singing football chants, and um, you know the massive bleachers they erect. I mean, they know how to create an energy and an event. And of course, we love the old ancient playing fields and. They're too short for the modern game, but since they're not obsessed with protecting par, they just kind of they just kind of roll the balls out there and let them play. Yeah, or they're not too short. They just, to use a phrase, they are what they are. They've held up. You know, the course played so short at times this week, and it didn't matter at all. It really didn't. No, I mean, it was, again, it was the wind switch, but it's a little discouraging that 18 was a flip wedge today. You know, guys... 500 yard hole. They were hitting. They were hitting little knockdown sand wedges. I mean, that that hole should be a beast. It should be a monster. You know, Jean Vandenveld must have been crying on the inside how easy the, the hole played today. And I do fear for St Andrews. You know, in two years, um, I mean, there's, there's going to be a half dozen par fours that are drivable. And um, but I guess that just you just have to embrace that as part of the fun. And there's going to be a lot of you know 63s and 64s and 62s and. It is what it is, as you say. I mean, D- Dustin Johnson's, you know, probably the best golfer in the game right now, and you know he didn't make the gut here, so you just don't really ever know. He got ejected. So let's finish on um, on a more personal story because for us, one of the pleasures of the Open has always been playing golf, and you know, this is a bad week for that. I don't know what happened. You know, what, you know what happened? Later. The internet happened. The we internet happened. we started coming here in the 90s. All we had to do was write one story at the end of the week for, for an old-fashioned print magazine, and we'd play golf Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, have like an early supper in the press room, sneak out. You could easily play 18 holes before the sunset, but 
now the courses are so good. It's the courses are so, and they're so wonderful at twilight when they, they come alive. You can see the the way the terrain moves and the the um, you know, the fescues swaying in the, in the in the twilight. It's just beautiful. When but, when you're Garrity and I played the uh, the Southport Muni, uh, Southport England, and uh, it was. It was described in a magazine as the worst Lynx golf course in the British Isles. And Garrett and I were laughing because it was so good and so enjoyable. It's like, it's so wow, fun. you got really high standards. This is your worst Lynx golf course. Was Royal Sinkports where there was that great restaurant off the 17th yeah. hole? Like, yeah, I, think, I don't think we played 18 because yeah, I just went to the... we'd, we'd played a 17 and we were hungry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've done that at Ely as well, which we didn't get. I mean, that was one of our goals this week to get to Ely. We didn't make it to Ely. Right. So this is first world problems in the extreme, yes. but Michael and I didn't get to play any Twilight Golf because now we're doing videos for golf.com. We're writing multiple deadline pieces every day. We're, we're, but we're keeping our jobs. So we're keeping good. our jobs, so we're happy, and we're not complaining, but this is all setting up our night at the old course. So on Friday, after a long day of grinding, we decided to have a nice meal at Forgins in downtown St. Andrews. And it was after 11, when we're still eating, it turned into this this club of, of Scottish dancing and they cleared out the tables and all these old biddies were out there dancing and it was totally delightful and thus inspired what 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 ensued but no you, you you're you're doing great you, no, you, no, you people are tired of me <laughs> so, no no <laughs> you went Fine. to your car yeah so I think that I think the first question is if you're going to bring any three clubs to play some evening golf uh, right. on the old course, what three clubs should so they we, be? We just we made the executive decision that we're, we had to go play the old course, and obviously you're going to play 18. So we we parked on the Lynx Road and we we kind of hopped the fence and briskly walked. We, we didn't we didn't park on Buttswind. No, we, we that's that's in the middle of town, but that is one of the great <laughs> the great names. And we should we should say that our young colleague Sean Zock was. Um, was was part of this escapade, and so do you think the uh, former NFLer Dick Butkus ever <laughs> walked Michael, down Butts Wind? You, can, you can't work blue like this. Our <laughs> listeners have standards. There's literally so wind is kind of W I N D is like alleyway over here, and there is one. It's called Butts B U T T S Butts Wind, and <laughs> it's oft photographed and a lot of jokes about flatulence, which Michael at his advanced age still finds funny, and so. Getting back to the tail at hand. So we, we go over to the, the 18th. Can we suddenly hear to Riley's comment about the peach cobbler? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember. I'll give you the start. You give me the finish. That will. Oh, push a turd? <laughs> God. I, our only excuse at this point is that it's midnight and we're a little delirious. So we go to the 18th hole of the old course. It's dark. Which is a form of burial ground, I'm sure you would know. Yes, and... There's some ambient light from the, the hotels on, on the Lynx Road. We have our, our flashlights, and we, we teed it high and, and let it fly. And it, it was neat to kind of hit into the gloaming where you didn't know where the ball was. It was totally by feel, right? It was neat. It was, uh, it was a dead still night, and um, it's magical. I mean, uh, it's been said a million times. Um, I know it doesn't work for everybody, but I think you and I – I'm sure we both feel the same. It's a magical town. It's a magical golf course. And to be walking on that golf course where golf's been played for, what, is it 500 or 600 years? I'm not sure. Um, it's just really uh, a special feeling. And um, and honestly, I know the, the people might not really get this, but this activity, it wasn't, it wasn't debauchery. It was the opposite. It was done with a certain reverence. It's uh, 
Uh, and if you remember the book uh, Golf, or for those who have read the book uh, Golf in the Kingdom, uh, Michael Murphy and uh, Shiva Sirens go out and play uh, some evening golf. Uh, You've played evening golf at the Cypress Point Links, I believe, Cypress Point Club Golf Course. Um, but um, it was great to be out there. And we weren't the only people out there. I mean, uh, it's a, I don't even know if it's not permit. I'm sure playing the playing of golf is not permitted, but I don't know if walking on that golf course tonight is not permitted because no one was chasing us off. I think it's absolutely fine because there's the road that bisects 18th fairway is, is a major thoroughfare to get from like the beach to the town. And right. so you see people walking their dogs and right. Um, but and there's not a single sign that says you know no walk on the golf course at yeah. night or no, you know it's in, absolutely in the states fine. would say you know park closes at dusk but there's no sign like yeah. that here yeah so so well, we let me, I'll t- I will tell them what you did uh, Alan uh, Alan, no, Alan hit well, go ahead you go okay. ahead well so we we find our balls out in the ferry with with their flashlights we teed a high yes and we made contact yeah we both contact. we aimed left because we figured we had better chance of finding a left than right yeah. So Michael, we, we just took three clubs, driver, putter, and sandwich. Michael hit a very good sandwich. We should sandwich. introduce our uh, colleague and friend, uh, Sean Zock, Z-A-K, was with us. Oh, you You're did. definitely drunk. And um, I did. Michael takes an impressive divot off that, that fairway. And the senior open is next week. And so in the dark, we found, we found the divot. We were looking for the divot hole. And Michael was obsessed with with replacing his divot because you can imagine, you know, Bernhard Longer losing the open because he drives it into your divot hole. Well, and, you know, <laughs> truly, you know, senior open or not, I would never leave that old course without replacing a divot. But it was hard in the dark it to find hard. it. was hard. Well, you found both the divot and the divot hole and the ball. I mean, your young guys uh, were serving us so uh, well there. That was hilarious. And so then now you drove it past over the road. Yeah. How far, how far, what did we play from about the 320 marker? I think so. And you, you maybe had about 80 yards in? Yeah, and we should say, we, the, the, the pin was in, but we couldn't see it. It was so dark. So you know where the green is. It was just kind of aimed for the middle. And we didn't know the yardage. We had, I, I never yeah. saw a sprinkler. So no. it was just totally by feel in the dark, which I was really the sprinklers cool. Sprinklers are marked there anyhow, are they? No, I mean, this, yeah, exactly. You're just, you're just playing blind. But that was cool. I just like, it feels like 75 yards. So I'll, that's what I'll try. But you it was a solid one. It is a solid one, but of course we didn't know where it landed. So we come up to the green. You're in the Valley of Sin. Played a very credible third shot to about 20, 25 feet. Yeah. My ball, amazingly, was perched on the green yeah. just above the valley. Yeah. And I was like 20 feet away. Yeah. If I actually had to play that shot with in the daytime, it would have been a lot harder. Yeah. Because this just completely divorced you from the result. It was all about just trying to make contact and see what happens. So grass is beautiful on that green. I mean, you hit a solid putt, and it held its line. It held its line, and then it started breaking left. It was just really hit just a little bit too hard, but it was actually a pretty close to a perfect lag putt. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so, so now I've about – well, no, no, oh, let's, no, let's not okay. – let's not jump ahead. So I have about two, two and a half feet, downhill, left to right slider. You're lining up your putt, which you missed. But this presence was on the edge of the green, standing very stiffly. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Johnny Law. We're all going to jail, you know. But so I'm, I'm kind of watching this guy. I'm like, I got, this is like the most important part of my life. And I'm, so I tried to block it out. And I actually shook the putt in for 
the most satisfying par I've had in a long time. It was a very good par. Uh, I, I I yipped my bogey putt in, so that was also very that was a solid bogey under the circumstances. It was a solid. It was solid in the night uh, bogey. Okay, anytime you get out through that value sin in one and onto the green, absolutely. And I should I, I should say Michael anointed me the champion golfer of the nights. What would Constantino Roca have paid for your four? Everything he's ever had and ever will have. Yep. Yep. He must be a very happy man tonight. <laughs> it's um, it's funny because that hole is so it it's so easy, but that valley makes it so subtle. It's like the biggest fairway in the world. It's three hundred and twenty yards, but because you because of where you are and how badly you want to do it and because of the contours of the green it has just just enough teeth in it to make it interesting that is well said i the reason i'm making a face here is i they've been promoting the senior open and they've showed a photograph of two unlikely players one of whom was john daly and i've not been able for a week now i haven't been able to identify who the other player was because so many years have passed, but it was Constantino Roca, I realize now. Now, I don't know if either of those guys are playing next week, but I noticed that today they have replaced. John Daly was no longer uh, being shown, and Constantino Roca, they've now replaced it with Fred and uh, Bernhardt. Well, this is one quick note on Bernhardt. What a stud. I mean, that was just incredible what he did this week at age 60. Finished one under at the Open Championship in, what, 69? What did he shoot? Like, he... He, he, I mean, he played unbelievable golf. I think it's 69 Saturday, and I think he had level today. Yeah, it's truly, it'd be a stunner if he doesn't win, if he doesn't win the Open at a he's the Senior Open. He's an absolute inspiration. He really, really is. Uh, and he's got a sort of a droll humor. And uh, That's probably the most underrated thing about Bernie Longer is, yeah, 68-71 on the weekend. 68-71. That's stout. That's very stout. I think we're drinking some stuff. All right. I think this is where we're going to clink glasses for the listeners. L'chaim. <laughs> you know that Jay-Z, that's his toast? Probably has, probably from, he got it from his lawyers. <laughs> and agents. <laughs> Let's not go down this road any farther. Okay. Um, this, was, this was great fun, Michael. Thanks as always for your time. Thank you. To the listeners, uh, accept our apologies. Um, we will do this again, I'm sure, from Belle Reve in a, in a few probably weeks. Probably a Marriott. <laughs> Probably no. I was already thinking about St. Louis. We're gonna find like a really cool like barbecue joint that has some atmosphere, and that I'm I'm gonna scour the greater St. Louis area for the right spot. Very good. I mean, if you go Waffle House, you go. You know who would be great to get for a podcast in St. Louis? Bob Golby. Oh wow, that's a good call. Coolest man in golf. What was his? What is his great quote when he comes to the last oh, hole? And he has to make a putt to win the Masters? We're, we're going to save that for next time. <laughs> okay, we are. That'll bring, that'll bring all the listeners back. They want okay. the Bob Colby quote. Right. All right. This is Alan Shipnuck signing off from Scotland. Thanks for listening. And um, thanks to Michael Bamberg for being here. We will do this again soon. Good night. Mm-hmm.